Hey, everyone. Okay. Okay. A while back, I heard a story about a famous person doing something that I would never do. And I doubt that any of you would do it, but what do I know? Anyway, I had to ask myself the question. Why would a young man, an intelligent and educated young man, hike 700 miles, walk into a strange cemetery where he'd never been before and where no one he knew was buried there, then unknowingly lie down on an important grave and go to sleep. Now, you may know this guy. His name was John Muir. He always called himself a wandering tramp. And he is most well-known as a naturalist, a conservationist, and is remembered as one of the fathers of the U.S. National Park System. Today, there are mountains, forests, parks, and two John Muir trails, one in California in the Sierra Nevada and one in Tennessee in the Cumberland Mountains. So, why did he sleep on a grave? Let's look at the clues and I'll give you my take on it. I'm J.D. Bias. Welcome to History by GPS, where you travel through history and culture, GPS location by GPS location. You can find transcripts of the show and the coordinates for where these events happen at historybygps.com. That way you can follow us on your favorite map app. I prefer Google Earth, but that's just my personal favorite. And no, they are not a sponsor of this channel. Okay, get your pencil and paper. The first GPS location today is in the back end of Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia. It's at the coordinates 32.042645 degrees by negative 81.046146 degrees. And that's a mouthful. If you can't write this down, don't worry. You can find the information on the website. Now, a little background on the grave sleeping guy, John Muir. He was born in Dunbar, Scotland in 1838. His family immigrated to the United States where he grew up in Wisconsin. He was hardworking, inventive, and he loved botany and geology. In his younger years, he traveled all around Wisconsin and the surrounding states to study those passions. He even wandered up into Ontario, Canada, looking for what grew there. Now, he left his family farm and attended college, and he became an excellent woodworker, uh, ended up in the carriage trade in Indiana. That's where a life-changing event happened. While he was prying a belt off of a machine, the belt slipped and flipped a file into his face. It blinded him in his right eye. He developed sympathetic blindness in his left eye and left him totally in the dark. So when he healed and his sight came back, he decided he wanted to see the world, and he headed off on his first big adventure. When he was in Savannah, Georgia, he was on his famous 1,000-mile walk to the Gulf that went from Louisville, Kentucky, to Cedar Key, Florida. As for his stay in Bonaventure Cemetery, he was here for five nights. That was in October 1867. That would bring us to our question of why he would go into a cemetery that was totally strange to him. Bonaventure was several miles outside of the city back then. Well, Muir wrote that on October 8, 1867, he was waiting for a parcel of cash that was supposed to be mailed by his brother, but it had not reached Savannah. So, low on money, he searched for a place to spend the night. On the first night, he said he went to the meanest-looking lodging house that he could find, as he said, on account of its cheapness. 
He looked for some kind of job to make a little cash, but apparently no one had needed help. So he only had enough money to buy food for a few days. On the second day, he went to the post office, which, by the way, for those of you who visited Savannah or live here, that was in the basement of the old customs house on Bay Street. But when he got there, still no parcel. So he wandered around the streets sightseeing and studying plants in the gardens of the large homes, of which Savannah had many, and still does. Then after a while, he found the road to Bonaventure, which, by the way, back then was called the old Thunderbolt Road. Today, it's a route divided between three sections, Wheaton Street, Skidaway Road, and Bonaventure Road. He wrote that on the route to the cemetery, he wandered around Savannah's sandy eastern bluff, looking for a place to rest under the stars. Now, today, you won't find any sand dunes. He was also hiking in hot weather. Let me read this from his own words. He says, I was very thirsty after walking such a long time in the muggy heat. And it does get hot in Savannah, even up into the early fall. Okay, to continue. A dull, sluggish, coffee-colored stream flows under the road just outside the graveyard, from which I managed to get a drink after breaking away down to the water through the dense fringe of bushes, daring the snakes and alligators in the dark. Thus refreshed, I entered the weird and beautiful abode of the dead. Muir later wrote about his phobia of alligators while he was crossing the swamps in Upper Florida, by the way. Now today, that creek by Bonaventure is the Placentia Canal, which drains stormwaters from the town of Thunderbolt and the campus of Savannah State University. Now, back then, the course of the creek ran closer to the gate, probably about where the main road is today. But when the canal was built, the water flow was diverted a few yards to the southwest. But anyway, when he walked into the cemetery, I suppose it was hunger and fatigue that led him to his grave pillow. He must have been exhausted, because we have to take into account, aside from probably getting a lousy night's sleep in a flophouse, on his route through Georgia, some of the sections of his trip this guy clipped off about 40 miles a day, and he was still collecting plant specimens. So, how would he have known about Bonaventure? Well, it's famous now, but it was famous back then, too. Today, most writers and visitors make the assumption that the cemetery's popularity is because of the Midnight Book. That was John Brent's 1994 story, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. But in reality, Bonaventure was a popular place more than a century before the Midnight Book came on the scene. So, Muir had probably heard about the famous cemetery long before he walked into town. He likely read about it in travel books or saw pictures on postcards of that time. An 1860 stereo view that George Bernard made during the Civil War shows what the area looked like back then. Bernard was following Sherman's army through Georgia and made the image probably in 1865, just after the capture of Savannah in December 1864. At one time in history, the graveyard was a weekend destination spot for local family picnics. However, it reverted to a weedy, brushy patch of woods during the American Civil War, so it may have been a little rough and brushy when Muir visited. Now, the cemetery's popularity in Victorian times can be witnessed out front near the entrance. 
If you look near the parking lot area, just outside the gate, you can see a short section of trolley tracks. They're reminders of times when the steel rail saw heavy traffic from city families carrying picnic baskets and checked tablecloths to lounge among the tombs. Now, when you visit Bonaventure, I think you'll like the monuments and sculptures. There are many. I really like a couple of the bronze examples, the bust of General Robert Houston Anderson and the flowers on the Garland Rowles Monument. That one's just inside the gate on Moraine Way. Also, I mention uh, General Anderson's family in my book, History's Way Along Savannah's Riverfront, should you want to learn more. You can find that in my other books on Amazon. Just type in J.D. Bias, B-Y-O-U-S, and they should magically appear. Also, please follow the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. That or just go to our website, historybygps.com, and there you'll find more details and information on the episodes. Now, the Anderson's family history was one of my research projects during grad school many years ago. It's a fascinating family. Related to all the old Savannah families, there was U.S. Supreme Court Justice James Moore Wayne before the Civil War. He was one of the infamous votes in the Dred Scott decision. Another family member was Juliet Gordon Lowe, the founder of the Girl Scouts. And also Johnny Mercer, the lyricist and songwriter, is also, well, he's buried in in Bonaventure, along with a few others of people of note from George's history. So... As for Muir's first night there, he entered the gate and he walked through Bonaventure's Oak Grove for about a quarter of a mile until he reached the ruins of the old Tattnall Plantation House. By the way, I found a photo of the old ruins in a collection of the Library of Congress, Uh, so it may have been taken about the time of Muir's visit. Now today, there are fewer oaks. From what I've seen in pictures, I would estimate at least 50% are gone. I'm sure some were blown down during storms and hurricanes, while others were probably cut down for some other reason. There is one ancient oak near the entrance that Muir would have walked past and under its branches on his way along the Oak Line Lane while he was looking for a sleeping spot each night. It was a seedling back in 1754 when the plantation was started about 260 years ago. As Muir walked along Mulrane Way, he talked about seeing an occasional glint of moonlight bouncing from the the headstones in the small burial ground. He also mentioned how the leaves of the sparkleberry thicket shined like heaps of crystals. Now, the sparkleberry bushes are still around, but it's hard to see them at night because uh, the cemetery closes at 5 p.m. You can't get in. Also, the plant life has changed a bit since he was there. Many new species of flowers have been introduced as decoration on family graves. I might note that on Google Earth, Morine Way is listed as Greenwich Road, and Greenwich Road is really on the north boundary of the graveyard. It leads to the Greenwich Burial Run, should you be following on, on the map right now. Anyway, the graveyard was much smaller when Muir was there. Only a few small blocks divided the grounds back then as compared to the current cemetery, Uh, Today, it's sectioned off into dozens, if not hundreds, of sections. I'll continue the story of the first night and the grave bed in just a little bit, but let's discuss the second and additional nights first. Muir went into a brushy area at the edge of the graveyard and created a house out of bushes to sleep in. 
It was probably located in the area that is now the military burial section on the south side uh, because that was one of the only flat areas that was undeveloped and scrub covered back then. He made a hut using four bushes as the corner post, and it was an area of about four to five feet, just enough for him to get inside. Then he tied branches on top and lay marsh grass uh, across it as a roof. Then on the ground, he used Spanish moss as a mattress cushion. Now, as a point of interest, most folks around the area avoid touching the moss. It has chiggers, red bugs. And, well, I guess that maybe that's why he was itching to get to bed. Anyway, he always entered this little hut after dark so no one would see him. It was illegal to sleep there back then, I guess. He wrote that on one night, to quote him, as I lay down on my moss nest, I felt some cold-blooded creature in it, whether a snake or simply a frog or toad, I do not know. But instinctively, instead of drawing back my hand, I grasped the poor creature and threw it over the top of the bushes. That was the only significant disturbance, the fright I got. End quote. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what. A stake in my bed would end my camping trip. That or spiders. I do hate spiders. Now, unlike Muir, I don't want to get into the weeds here, but let's do a little deeper dive into the history of the place. That'll help us deduce where Muir's pillow grave was located on the first night. As I said, the original cemetery within the Tattnall burial section. That section has the graves of Commodore Josiah Tattnall Jr. and his father, Josiah Sr., who was a Revolutionary War soldier and the governor of Georgia. The entire Bonaventure plantation was 600 acres of high ground on the Wilmington River, about three miles from Colonial Savannah, Georgia. And that's where the original home stood on that high ground with a panoramic view of the river along a central garden walkway that dropped in terraces down to the water's edge. On Muir's first night in the cemetery, he searched for a place to sleep and found a little mound that served as a pillow. We've said that. Now, a few yards from the Tattnall graves are the Telfair family graves. They are an important part of this story. Think Telfair Academy, Telfair Museum on Telfair Square in downtown Savannah, Telfair County, those Telfairs. Here's what we have on them. In August 1867, a few weeks before John Muir's visit, the Telfair sisters, Mary and Margaret, had the remains of their three brothers and their father, Edward, moved from the Gibbons Plantation south of town and reinterred at Bonaventure. Now, according to the City of Savannah Cemetery records, the Telfair sisters were the only people to have a grave excavated in over two years. A year later, in 1868, the Evergreen Cemetery was formally opened and the plots became available for sale to the city's wealthier families. You have to remember that dirt mounds over graves do not last long in Georgia's torrential rainy weather. Muir wrote that he laid down under one of the great oaks to sleep. The oak above the Telfair plot was planted about 1800. It was definitely here and a mature oak when Muir visited. So, to go back over it, in 1807, 60 years before Muir slept the first night in Bonaventure, Edward Telfair died. He was buried in the Gibbons Plantation Cemetery and later reinterred to this spot. 
If this is correct, Muir did not know that his grave was provided by a three-time Georgia governor and an American founding father who was a member of the Continental Congress and a signer of the Articles of Confederation, you know, the precursor to the Constitution of the United States. And Telfair was one of only 12 men who received electoral votes during the first election for president of the United States. You'll remember that George Washington won that election. Important guy, important pillow. Muir would probably scratch his head after hearing that information. Now, five days after Muir's grave sleeping night, his uh, money packet arrived and he continued his journey to Cedar Key, Florida. From there, he traveled to Yosemite in California and made his place in history. And one last thing. I love this. Muir wrote in his book, If that burying ground across the Sea of Galilee mentioned in the scripture was half as beautiful as Bonaventure, I do not wonder that a man should dwell among the tombs. He was referring, of course, to the story of Christ casting the demons out of the man who lived among the tombs of the cemetery. It seems that Bonaventure helped soothe Muir's spirit, just as it does for many other people. You know, few visitors know of Muir's stay in Bonaventure, and some have never heard of the wandering tramp that changed America. As for Savannah's most popular necropolis, today there are more visitors than ever before. A book about a midnight garden helped add to that about 25 years ago. So instead of trolley tracks, tourists roll in on rubber-tired cars and buses. And if you want to visit, you can walk the grounds too. Or you can book a tour on an oversized golf cart. Just don't sleep on the graves. So, if you didn't already know this story, now you know. Remember to follow the podcast so you'll be notified of new episodes. And if you would like to learn more about this story and others, you can go to our website, historybygps.com. And there you'll find mugs, t-shirts, gifts, and other things related to this episode, along with other items tied to historic Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, go to the website and buy something. Support the program. (laughs) Okay. Bye.